All right, welcome back to Break Time. I'm your host, Corey LeGrand. Uh, we are here for another episode of Break Time. Um, today, we're going to be talking about like the fear of laughter, like the fear of being humiliated. Uh, it's, it's almost like a social um, a social psychology thing, group psychology. And, and these things play a, a real important part in our day-to-day interactions with people, especially our interactions on social media. And uh, I am so happy to have someone here to kind of elaborate on that. Um, I'm, I know you guys listened to a previous episode about gelatophobia, how I was telling you about the research I was uh, finding on that and some of the cases of gelatophobia that uh, the psychologists and psychiatrists were doing in Germany. It was kind of alarming. But um, we're going to talk about that just a little bit, but we're not going to really... We're going to talk more about the anxiety itself, the fear of, right, the phobia. So I do have Dr. Tasha here. Dr. Tasha, welcome to break time. How you doing? Oh, thank you for having me, sir. Wow, wow. So it's—I mean, honestly, it's—it's—it's it's, it's an honor to have you on here. You're, I mean, you are very, very, very like present in this. Um, how, how does it feel now that like it seems like the world is shifting uh, and paying attention to to mental wellness? How does it feel as a, as a, as a, a clinical psychologist? How does that feel to you? Oh my God, I absolutely love it um, because there's one of those times where you know where you say to yourself. I know that I want to do this for a living, right? And I feel like I'm born to do this for a living, but you can't make people think or have people think that it is something that's good for them to process the old or the past or the childhood that was painful. It doesn't make sense, especially um, if they don't see themselves or see, you know, the things of how it's getting in the way of their possible present or adult relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see, like, folks are have gotten to a place of almost awareness, mm-hmm. Um obviously communal, mm-hmm. right, so like in the community, but then it's also this personal level of awareness, which the pandemic pushed quickly because all we had was ourselves and our thoughts mm-hmm. um, and with all that time. So I'm absolutely loving it from celebrities on down. Well, that uh, that's awesome, Tasha. I'm mean, I'm so ha- proud of you and the work that you're doing. Um, I definitely wanted to bring, I wanted your clarification and, and definitely help the people understand Um when they sit down with a the therapist, can we talk about the confidentiality? And because I, I think people are afraid of the vulnerability piece with sitting with you, can you really uh, uh, hone in on the HIPAA and how confidential the conversations are with you? Oh, I mean, ethically, um, if it's not confidential, um, then we got a problem, and that therapist you need to report to someone. Uh, quickly because they don't need to be working at all it is literally our job our oath that we take um doing this work that it literally stays in the room it's, it's interesting i've worked with an individual and then i've worked with the individual within the couple and then i worked with the couple and then i worked with the family that that where the couple was in the family and guess what anything that we talk about as an individual in individual therapy does not come up in couples therapy and anything we talk about in couples therapy does not come up in family therapy and literally you can almost have this level of confidentiality even within the therapy um because anyone that's in the room at the time obviously is able to hear what's going on but if you weren't in the room it's not your business and so the vulnerability that happens now this is the interesting thing as a therapist it is our job to make you feel safe and in my mind the reporting needs to happen really quickly because i don't want to sit with anybody that's lame that doesn't feel like they understand me i don't want to sit there and teach you um that's part of the reason why a lot of people love working with me because just as a black woman um working with brown and black folks that you you don't have to kind of go into the room you know and first teach them like so this is what i went through you know as a black person in the world and it's just like this immediate kind of report at times um where it's just like you don't have to explain everything and so i 
always say vulnerability is sexy. And so if you can find a way to figure out how to be strong as well as vulnerable, then um, we cooking with some, some bacon grease, as they say. Oh wow! Yeah, that's true. Cooking with grease—that's that's that's a very very uh, popular term. But um, so today we're talking about uh, the the fear of being laughed at. Um, would you say that um, is is the fear of being laughed at uh, that falls under the umbrella of anxiety? Oh, so for sure, right? Because if you're if you're fearful of being laughed at, you're also anticipating rejection. Right, mm. you're also anticipating a level of being ostracized, um, especially if you're just being yourself. So this is possibly like a lot of reasons why a lot of people don't go out into the world because of their level of social anxiety. And this is so interesting that you're almost anticipating this level of rejection that will keep you in the house. So I'm not saying that all introverts have this. That would be crazy to say. But it's possible that a lot of folks don't ever get to go outside and show their true selves because they're wondering if you're laughing at them. And then the crazy part is if you're carrying that and someone around you laughs, then you're assuming that it's about you. So at that point, that becomes even a level of narcissism, thinking that because you walked into the room, everybody's thinking about you. So mm. it's interesting. It can be almost like a, a victim stance of what's yeah. wrong with you, or it can be an um, arrogant stance of like everybody's talking about me. Wow. Well, Dr. Tasha, like I was telling you earlier before we started, um, I was reading up on that and um, over, well, on the Eastern Hemisphere of the world, they they kind of labeled it as gelatophobia. Um, from my last uh, podcast that I did about it, uh, they were they were doing just that. They showed where it can be, like you said, more of a we could see it as a victim standpoint, but we can also they also showed aggressor type standpoints where you have these individuals walking down the street and let's say for instance you and I are sitting on a stoop laughing and talking about something that happened at work today, and then all of a sudden this person walks by and says, "Hey, what are you looking at? What you?" Laughing at next thing you know, they're catching assault charge. Immediate, yeah. Um, would that also go into? And again, this is just questions, but it's just uh, just food for thought. Would would that also be considered traits of maybe some? Well, I wouldn't say schizophrenia, but I don't know. Would do you think that could be traits of schizophrenia? No, no, no. We can't okay. go as far as traits of schizophrenia because you have to. That would. You know, it would be more about if it was internal and they were responding to, to something that was internal. I don't think it would be as usually with schizophrenic. It has nothing to do most times with external. It has to do with mainly what's going on the inside. But there is something interesting to say how it actually could be alongside anger or rage or um, displaced um, kind of levels of the fear within ends up being like a level of physical activity or physical fighting mm. um there was just a patient today i just this happened like a, an hour ago oh, wow. he was talking about how grown man 40 in his 40s that said how he grew up um was in special needs classes right in okay. elementary grade school and ended up being a person that was always getting into fights by middle school high school am i surprised by that no mm. because he wasn't known he knew that he couldn't be known as right right the, the person that was outside the class or had that one desk in the back where a tutor always had to speak with them about you know the sciences and the math. And so for him, he definitely felt incompetent, right? So, but he didn't feel so incompetent when he would actually like beat somebody up. And so it was also a level of wanting to feel some level of power or authority, knowing mm. that he didn't have actual academic intelligence, but um, actually, it, to be honest, he didn't have any respect at all from anybody in the classroom. But in those halls, everybody was scared of him. Mm -hmm. That is. 
That actually concerns me a lot, Dr. Tasha, because to me that sounds like so many other stories that happen to our children. Um, I mean, I could see that happening where uh, a young man or a young girl in elementary school having a really bad day that day, and now they're, you know, labeled as this individual, and now they're constantly meeting that ex- that negative expectation for that label. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, you're right. And, and it goes off into the adulthood. And this is why, folks, that I always advocate to have some type of therapy sessions. I mean, we have doctors, you know, regular doctors, OBGYN, we have dentists. But we are missing the thing that makes all of this thing work, the gray matter between our ears. And there are people that specialize in that, and they are psychologists, psychiatrists. And Dr. Tasha, how, with that being said, how soon do you think it would be good to introduce someone to a psychologist, an age range from, from you know, from oh, toddler to oh, therapy to, you know, whatever? If there's trauma, for sure, and you can see it at, in, like, a... We can see something in terms of acting out by like age nine to twelve years old. Mm-hmm. I think there's nothing wrong with actually sending your child to therapy. And sometimes even there's like therapists, child therapists that have they do like play therapy or even mm-hmm. talk therapy where they can learn about their feelings mm-hmm. um, versus just acting them out. And um, could you imagine if some of these things that folks are dealing with, you know, in their sixties and fifties, if it actually could have been like capped around like maybe eighteen or twenty five, mm-hmm. yeah, um, or yeah. at least acknowledging it to be a problem. But of course, when you have a kid that has these issues, you have to have a kid that wants to talk about it. Um, another thing I would say, young adulthood is a big a good time because you're trying to formulate this identity, mm. right? And just like you know, you're hormonal, mm-hmm. you're desiring to be belong to something. You're also needing to be independent, mm-hmm. and so if someone could actually help process that. Um, I always think of all the shifts in the life. So then, even like um, marriage or dating, maybe mm-hmm. the beginning of that, of just to find out you know who you are, to see who you want to attract, um, mm-hmm. and then as a parent, you know what I mean? Like, how do you actually, you know, what what? actually is going to be brought up as a parent because this is what's deep. So you could be a parent that um, by age, I don't know, 39, mm-hmm. but when your child turns nine years old, so you had a child at 21, mm-hmm. because your something happened to you at nine, mm-hmm. right, or seven, now your child is seven or nine, and it all comes out as the mm-hmm. parent. But no one really talks about that. No one does. And you become hella overprotective or mm-hmm. hella judgmental of something, of, you know, what's going on in their environment because of what happened to you. So this is why we got to talk about it because you're then going to instill these fears and insecurities in your child and they don't even understand what's going on in the household. But it's because of your unresolved stuff. So do you recommend that parents shouldn't wait till a traumatic event happens? Maybe start introducing at a young age, maybe kindergarten, uh, maybe just for practices? So I actually don't think that it has to be, and I wish you remember, Tom doesn't have to just be sexual abuse, physical abuse. Right. It could be, you know, why are you so quiet in the room when we're, you know, we're all outside eating whatever holiday feast? And why do you always want to be away from everybody? Or mm. um, why are you always needing to have this type of attention and all of that? Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of seeing some type of change and then trying to get to the root of it. But that's where therapy comes in. But then truly, as parents, you can actually do something that's a beautiful thing, and that's called parenting. But let me tell oh. you why I say it like oh. that. And that would be talking to your child. Okay. So, and I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying if you start that conversation at three or four or mm-hmm. five or six, and you ask, how are you doing? And you listen to their answer, even if they're like, you know, uh, Molly hurt my feelings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we're like, 
they probably do. And it's like, you know, she took my pencil and it's like, okay, did you end up taking her pencil because you were mad? So now we're teaching, are we going to teach that revenge is okay? Or are we going to teach to talk about our feelings and try to find a way to manage our anger, right? right. Or um, I'm scared. Using like emotional language mm-hmm. at like a young age between like zero and 10 is actually setting them up for success, including the boys. Hello. Mm. We always talk to the girls when we say, oh, are you scared? Honey, come and, you know, lay with mommy or come lay with daddy. And it's like, oh, can the boy be scared? Because he deserves to be able to say out loud, I'm scared. Wow. Right? There's just this um, whole thing that, and I know you're all about the male empowerment, <laughs> you know, men men to men and I love that but the idea is right. it's okay out to say out loud when you are struggling with something or something scares you right. um, but we could actually instill that as a kid could you imagine if a son was able to say the weaknesses that we feel out loud and not feel so um, weak but actually learn that it's strength could you imagine it, it is and you know and I'm glad you brought that up because that's like some of the things that I've been taught right as a young man growing up um, never really uh, been given the the ground to kind of express myself so it's easy for me to shut down and that turns people off but yet they don't understand that it's a defense reactionary thing you know what i'm saying so it's like you would say something out of pocket or you would build this false narrative in your head before you even oh, talk to one. me and then by <laughs> you got this narrative talking to me you're reacting to me like something has actually happened and it is not because you've never confirmed with me that this is happening so it it takes me back to where i'm thinking like okay here you are have uh, um, authentic, organic feelings to an artificial situation. Ooh, say that again. Look at you. Uh, I don't. Look, but I'm saying, that, okay. and that's and that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. And I'm not talking about like this is a blanket solution. We're talking about a solution for Corey. Is that you cannot dealing with me? You cannot. I refuse. But I tell people this: it's really hard for me to see your rationale when you have invested so much time fabricating a narrative without my involvement and involving authentic feelings in a hypothetical situation. Like, there's no room to do anything because now we're living in your world where I have no say. And this is why I shut down. Man, that's so deep. You know? That's so deep. And then I love how you were being honest and say, I shut down. I shut down. Not that you weren't listening. It's just that what you said... There's no room for me, and now why would I, you know, wh- how can I insert myself where I'm not wanted? My, my real feeling, what's really going on. Correct. That happens so much um, growing up for, for men and women, but specifically men. Um, and I, I can say sometimes we as women don't make room for y'all, and you need us to, to then be able to know that you, you, you will be well-received. And that's one of the things, too, we talk about communications and fear of, and, you know, since we're talking about phobias and fear of being laughed at, um, that's a lot of, well, for me, I, 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 I grapple with that because it, it's, it's almost a microaggressive move. Me shutting down, not giving you that opportunity to find out what's going on, like it is, I, I, I own it, it's microaggressive, it's passive aggressive, that is that. But I'm trying to try to move past that and try to be more open and communicate that um, up front and let people know how I feel. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, though, Dr. Tasha, is when you are transparent and you share that, only to get kicked in the shins with re- further rejection or the lack of acknowledging it. You know, it, it's, it's Ooh, a tough thing. that word right there. 
acknowledgement, oh God, as black folks, I tell people all the time, that's the least we can do to each other is to acknowledge each other. And that's the least you can do from others that are non-black when we walk into the room because that's free. Right. That acknowledgement, it's like, man, it, it literally is priceless. Right. And someone can at least acknowledge you when you come in the room, much less your feelings. Right. It's like um, that'll prevent anybody from shutting down. So I, I have a question for you, and this is really for like what the parents are dealing with uh, out here right now. I mean, we we're 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 aware of what's going on in the world. Um, not only has it shifted, it's shifted so many things of how we do things. Right now, with the coronavirus, it's shifting operations, how we do our jobs, how we get to our jobs, how uh, how we take our kids to school, uh, the relationships that we have with people, the uh, the murdering of George Floyd and the murdering of Breonna Taylor and many more uh, black people who were aggressively murdered by law enforcement. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. So I'm saying all that with the, the huge shift of things, and we are literally moving into a, a, a spectrum of therapy and looking at uh, um, all the practices that uh, that therapy has. As a parent, how can I, uh, and I guess, and in, in convince my son to maybe go to therapy because it's something I see. Should I should I approach my child with an inclusive statement like, "Hey, Jalen, I feel that we should go to psychology," or "Jalen, I see that you're going through this, 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 this. I think you need to go to psychology." Can you like, kind of like elaborate on the weight of those statements that we make to our kid and their willingness to maybe go through therapy? So I love that you said the we. I'm all about the we. I like the we. Okay. Um, even in the um. I see a young man on Fridays, and he and his mother come in, and mm. she's the one that called, right? She mm. said, I would like you to talk to my son. And I was like, well, are you open to talk about whatever he wants to talk about? Because mm. that, that's got to be the next question. Mm. So they always say, you know, talk to the therapist about anything you want. But it's mm. like, well, are you going to be also okay with if he needs to hold you accountable to something of how it impacted his real life? Ooh. And her answer was yes. So now we got a brother in there. In a the matter of three weeks, we got the son that was originally there, the brother, Mm-hmm. Um, and then the mother, and then I think eventually the stepdad is coming because the, the we is what makes, like, we are the sum of all of our parts, right? Correct. So if all, we can get most of our parts in a room to get some things together, then, you know, sometimes you just don't feel alone because mm. that's sometimes why the one would withdraw. So I love that you said we, even there's a point where a therapist that's obviously trained well um, will start with the we and then see that the kid feels comfortable. And this could be a 12-year-old, this could be an 18-year-old, this could be as, as young as a, a seven-year-old. I, I know I've talked to a seven-year-old before. And then as the kid keeps talking, then you say, mom or dad, um, you mind going outside or grandma, you mind going outside in the lobby and we're going to keep talking. Because now you're just saying, you know, you're giving him the kind of the path or you're co-signing that, like, it's okay to tell her everything. And then they look at you like, everything, Dad? And it's like, yeah, tell her everything. And that's something that, that's dismantling everything that we were taught, right, mm. growing up. Yes. And dismantling everything generational of what goes on behind closed doors. They, and yes. it's like, really, because I'm, I'm so tired of the secret. Yes. Everybody got a secret that's killing the family. And so yes. let's do away with that. And so, um... Yeah, no, I love the we. The we is the best approach. And then you can say, you want me to step outside, and then you're respecting the kid, no matter how old they are, to say, if you need your privacy, kids love that, right? Mm-hmm. And then you step out um, once the kid feels comfortable. Nice. So I got a question for you, Dr. Tosh, since you brought up generations. Now, oh, boy. Whoo, here we go. Oh, so my breathe. We got to breathe through it. 
Right, because I'm not the only one that goes through this. Um, you know, my age group, the millennials, um, a lot, a lot of us, not all of us, a lot of us, our parents, and we're talking about generations, our parents are from the silent generation. The silent yeah. generation coming before the baby boomers. Now, for my listeners that aren't familiar with the silent generation, the silent generation, if your parents are around like 70, going on 80, that whole 10-year span, they're probably part of that silent generation. Now, the silent generation is popular for the coin phrase, uh, what is it? Uh, a child is to be seen, not heard. So they lived it. That was their mantra. And that's what that generation is. That's why a lot of people don't know about the silent generation, Dr. Tasha, because why? They're silent. They keep secrets. We ain't saying nothing. Don't tell people what's going on in my house. Don't let them know about and that and I'm telling you, because my parents of that silent generation, and I'm talking it's not just black people. We're talking about white yeah, people. No, right. We're talking about Hispanic. It's a generation, people. Oh, it's a Indian generation. Folks. Oh no, we don't talk about what? that. West Indian folks. Oh. Yeah. Persian, the whole nine. I agree. What? Whisper. So I'm saying that because a lot of us, a lot of my uh my generation friends here, uh, millennial friends here, I fear that when my parents die, because they're from the silent generation, all the truths out, church is out, all the secret, you know, everything is on the table. Now, with that fear, what can we do to practice? Because it, we, it might, it might not be nothing. It might be quiet, but the fact that I sit here every day with angst, like, oh my God, when my mama died, when my daddy died. All the truth is going to come out because I know nothing about them. But it's interesting because it's a double-edged sword because the truth is going with them, though. That's mm. the fact. The truth is now being buried with them, and so this is why we got to get them talking now because we are dealing with things that we don't even understand why. Right. That apple don't never fall that far from the tree. Right. It's interesting. Um, Tyler Perry actually has, um, when he did uh, whatever it is, Oprah's, what did Joshi do? Masterclass. Mm -hmm. He talked about how he didn't talk about his um, molestation um, and sexual abuse until his mom passed because he didn't want to have his mom relive the pain mm. of his pain. And so I can get both sides of it because it's a level of that silent generation was also taught to honor, mm. you know? And okay. so um, I get both, but it's like, no, I'm so tired of the secret. I, was, I literally was talking to my mom last night. I said, I'm tired of the secret child. Right, the kid that grew up, you know, where people thought it was the grandma's kid, but it really was a the some teenage girl that was in the family that had a oh. baby and no one ever knew. Oh. And then we got incest. Oh, we gonna talk about that. Oh. Time we talk about, I'm, I'm so over it. I mean, we're gonna oh. talk about sometimes even in the pulpit we talk about those that were victims of um, sexual abuse, but we don't ever talk to the abuser. Well, we gonna talk to the sexual offender, right? That was mm. the um older brother or the uncle or the babysitter and that we're female and not just all male or just the deacon. I mean, I hate to say it, but like this Ooh, is the type of stuff I'll that we have to talk about out that. loud because there's reasons why folks don't want to go there. It's because, um, with, I mean, in my thoughts, people don't want to go there because it's just too painful to go through it. But it's actually more painful to see you stuck for the next 30 and 40 years. That's what's painful to me as a therapist. And uh, just a quick plug, uh, I'm reading a book right now. Um, it's it's called It Didn't Start With You. Um, I, I provide the author oh, later on. Good and um, yeah, it and it talks about what you're talking about. But I, I think the beautiful thing, what you're bringing to, and I've been talking about this for like a couple of weeks now, especially on my social media, is accountability. Accountability sucks. It tastes, it tastes like, excuse my French, it tastes like shit. But it's yeah. also freeing. 
once you are able to be held accountable and you're able to hold someone else accountable. It's a mutual exchange, if you will, right? So it is true. If you don't want to lie to yourself, Uh you'll actually embrace it. Mm. It doesn't taste kind of crappy. I do know that part, but at the end of the day, it's actually um, you know, when you like work out and it's like a good pain. Mm. Yeah. Once you start to kind of fall in love with accountability, it's like every good leader needs accountability. Number one. You know what I mean? If you don't need accountability, it's because you've been a follower since you was three. You know right. what I mean? And so if you're a grown man or a grown woman that's a leader specifically, you should be, like, begging to find out, you know, God, open up my the, my eyes to see who in my life mm. can actually hold me accountable, right? And it's not a hypocrite because you can't can't be accountable to nobody no. that ain't living the same way that you're trying to live or Absolutely. trying to tell you something that they're not doing. Absolutely. But I think accountability is everything because wow. you can at least have one. Just one person that you can say exactly like, oh, no, I ain't do right. Right. Nope. Because right. we sometimes telling ourselves that there's no, we think that's enough. Like if we tell ourselves that we'll change, but really, if we don't, there's no one holding us accountable. And it's, it's, not, it's actually not good. It's not. It's not. Well, I tell you what, uh, Dr. Tasha, um, it was great talking to you again. Uh, I see I see my boss, Ruben, over there tapping his watch. It seems like we got to get get out of break room and get back to work. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, Dr. Tasha will be featured on our my annual uh, We Need a Break on Thursday. Uh, you guys can follow me on social media at legendary underscore LG on Instagram or my government name, Corey Legrand, on Facebook. Or uh, you could go to uh, It's. Uh, it's breaktime.work www.itsbreaktime.work to go to my website to get more information and register for this free mail form we're inviting everyone to come out uh, to listen we have some great panelists dr tasha will be featured on there and she's going to be dropping gems but before we uh close all the way out dr tasha do you have some some closing remarks and some some gems and you know to give us before we uh, have to head back to the, the work workplace well, you know what? I can't wait to um, talk to the fellas um, specifically um, with you. Um, what Last year was ridiculous, like ridiculously good. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's true. We need a break. Sometimes we need a break, um, come together, sharpen each other, and then go back out and, you know, conquer the world. But we definitely sometimes have to stop and acknowledge that we really do need each other. And I look forward to helping the men to see that within themselves. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Well, you guys know my famous phrase every time I close out an episode of Break Time. A better you, a better me makes us a better we. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you guys next Tuesday. Peace. (laughs) 